If you're hoping this morning that I'm going to take us into a new section of Scripture, because you might feel that the uh, Matthew chapter 5 is getting a bit, uh, needs a bit of a break, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. I've not been asked to preach on Matthew chapter 5. I really f- feel that the Lord's led me here. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. So it's one verse. Um, our Bibles should just automatically fall there because we've just been going through Matthew chapter 5 for a year. But if you do need a bit of time, I'll pause. Um, This is one verse, but it packs a a punch. And it says, You therefore do not... Sorry, I'm reading the wrong part. (laughs) You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is potent. Don't be perfect in your own perfection or human kind of perfectness, but you need to be perfect as your Heavenly Father um, is perfect. As a young Christian, when I came across the Scripture, it it struck fear into my heart because um, post-conversion, I'm still a sinful person. It didn't just all fall off me at conversion. Um, I was a sinner, uh, then uh, gave my life to Christ and uh, trusted in Him for my salvation. And uh, my hope was, as a young believer, thinking, yay, I'm done, I'm, I'm free, I'm never going to sin again. And, uh, you know, you lost a matter of hours. Those are just the sins you're aware of. There's other sins you're not even aware of. Those you commit without even thinking. Um, and then, you know, you go along thinking, well, maybe this... Uh, wrestle with sin is just normal and so it's okay and and then you come across a verse like this where it says you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect i think i'd been a christian for three years and i did what every good christian does when they get to a portion of scripture they can't uh meet up with or understand properly i ignored it i pushed it to the side oh i don't know what that means um wow that's 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 rough and uh then a few years later one of my friends went off to study theology in uh, Cape Town. And he came back and he said, Mark, I think, um, I think I'm starting to understand something. And uh, what he told me horrified me. He said, I think that I can reach a stage in this lifetime of sinlessness. And he, this was the verse It wasn't the only verse, actually. There are other verses, and I'll talk a little bit about that because it's a doctrine that I'll explain. But he started to believe that this side of heaven, not in heaven, because I also believe we are going to be perfect at the end, but he believed, or was starting to believe, that this side, he can reach a stage of sinlessness. Um, And this was one of the verses that... And so I realized I can't just ignore this verse anymore because here I've got a buddy who's... Heading off in the wrong direction. And the best I can offer him is when I read that, I went, I don't know what that means, and I moved on. So this morning, we're going to have a a look at this verse and dig into it a bit deeper to find out what what it's actually saying. Because on the first reading or just taking the verse on its own, you can maybe come to that conclusion. It's a doctrine called perfection, uh, perfectionism. And it was developed by John Wesley. So even a great man of faith who led many people to... Uh, and there are churches who hold to this. Not many, just a couple. And so th- it's not just my weird friend. I realize now there's uh, a-, a number, it's a small percentage, but there is a number of people 
who are Christians and believe they can reach a stage of sinless perfection uh, before the grave. I don't believe that. And I don't believe that Jesus was saying that even in this verse. But what I'm going to preach to you on this morning is this uh, concept. But I'm going to call it not perfectionism in the sense that I can reach it now, but the road to perfection. It's the road that we are all on as Christians. Um, We will be perfect uh, in the end. That's God's work, not ours. Um, But it won't happen this side of heaven. So unfortunately, we've got a bit of a way to go before we get there. So then what was Jesus saying if these guys aren't right? And he also said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, when you encounter a difficult portion of Scripture or a portion you're struggling to understand, the first key thing I want to leave you with, because we should all become students of Scripture, not just go off to study theology and then trust that guy from the front. You should be able to, even with the stuff I'm saying this morning, go back to Scripture in the days that come. And using um, some of the things I'm going to show you this morning, check that this is what the, the Bible actually says. Because the way that false... Um, movements start and go is you get a very charismatic person who speaks very well and you believe them to be you believe it to be true and you just trust them so most muslims don't read the quran their holy book they don't read it so how do they understand it they understand it because of the imam similar to me this morning teaching you he teaches them and they trust his interpretation and The interesting thing for me, living in Oman for three years, and then I read their Quran. The amount of stuff I found in there, they don't teach because it harms their belief system. And there wasn't one Muslim I met who knew of any of them in their own word. Okay? Why? Because he's based his belief system on a man who teaches him every Sunday. For them, it's a Friday. And we are called in Scripture to be... Uh, readers of God's word and to uh, be very careful about the stuff we listen to and hear and apply. So I had to do this. Otherwise, I was just going to follow my friend. And okay, you're studying theology and you were a few years ahead of me and maybe you've just reached a place I haven't reached yet. So the first thing you've got to understand is it's dangerous to take out one verse. Most of the false uh, doctrines or religions are based on a verse of scripture. They all point to you in the Bible. They'll say, but it's in your Bible. But it's one verse, and it actually doesn't correlate with the context, what they've taken out of it. And there's multiple other verses that uh, say something different. So the first thing we've got to do this one is go to this verse and pick it apart a little bit and see uh, what it says. So the first word I want to draw your attention to, and I learned this from my first pastor, Pastor John Basson. Whenever he read a verse that said this in it, it says, you therefore, he would stop. And he'd go, when you read the word, therefore, you must ask, what is it there for? You can't just do that verse and ignore the stuff before, because it's saying, because of the stuff I've just said, therefore. So straight away, one of the ways to check something is to go a bit further back. So let's do that. Let's go to verse 43 and find out what is the context. So that's a key word. What is the context for this verse. What is its background? Where is it coming from? And Jesus says here, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more um, are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the context of this expression here is not based on attaining a sinless perfection. It's based on the way that we love others. And at the time, the Jewish people thought that you were meant to love your neighbors, but your enemies, you didn't have to love them. So you were fulfilling God's law, they thought, if they were loving their friends. But Jesus raises the bar, like he's done several times before this, when he's been speaking about the law, and he says, you are not meant to just love your neighbors or those close to you or your friends. You're meant to love uh, everyone. So the context of this is love. And in this area, as your father is perfect, you, you must be perfect. Okay? So that's helpful. It's just to know what the context is. The second thing you can do is you look at the word perfect because that's the one causing us a problem here. What does that actually mean? Because even in English, it has two definitions. So which one um, are they applying here? You go, well, what are the two definitions in English? Well, perfect can mean sinless, like no stain of sin on me. I'm perfect in that way. Or it can mean when I finish doing something, that thing has been perfected, complete. We can also use the word perfect for complete. And the Greek word here, so I did the research for you, but I mean it will be good if you learn how to do it for yourself as well. But the Greek word here is the second meaning for perfect. It's one of bringing to completion, maturity. So it's about a journey that we will end up in like our Heavenly Father. It's not saying you must be perfect today. It's saying you must come to a state of completeness uh, in this area just as your Heavenly Father uh, is perfect. So... Um, but I want to go even further back. Why does Jesus even say that? Because that was my question. Why is he saying? Because it's still tough. I mean, it's still big. Even if it's saying this will take you time, but this is where you've got to get to. I'm looking at myself. <laughs> we just did high jump with these 10-year-olds, and they can't jump. Man, it was laughable the way some of them ran at that. Some of them dove headfirst into that pole. Hit it with their heads. They did zero jump from their feet. And I feel like that's what we're like. We're so unable of reaching God's standard that we're kind of like God says, okay, you need to do it like this. But then he raises the bar to like an impossible height. But I'm not, even if you left it down there, I still wouldn't do it because I'm, I'm useless. So this is a big um, thing that Jesus is saying here. And I'll go, why? Why does he say that? Well, if you go back, Again, in the same text, I want to take you back to verse 17. He's actually followed a pattern for a while. He starts off in verse 17 saying, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Okay, that's important because some people teach that the law doesn't matter. 
But Jesus says, I have not come to say that that doesn't matter or that's not important. But I have come to fulfill it. That's how important it is. I've actually come to do it, to complete it. You and I can't. We can't fulfill the law at all. But Jesus came to do that. For truly I say to you, just in case you think that it's, uh, there's even a small detail that might change, not an iota, so until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he is verifying every single letter, detail, consonant, grammatical uh, thing written there is not a mistake. It's important, and he's come here to fulfill it. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you... Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, they were perceived as the most righteous in the day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is about to do is he's talking to people who are trying to earn righteousness through achieving the law and doing this, 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 and this. And some of them think they've got there, just like my friend's trying to do later, even as a Christian, going, I think I can reach a sinless stage of perfection. They are trying, they're going, no, I'm on track. I'm righteous because I do this and 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 I meet that mark and I do that thing and I do that thing. And Jesus is coming and going, it's not that those things aren't important and you shouldn't do them. He's saying they are important. Not one of them will be removed. But he then comes and he says, even these guys who are getting it all right or think that they are, your righteousness must exceed them. It was, the bar is here. And, okay, that's hard, and only the very best of us get it, but I don't know if I can do it. And then Jesus comes and goes, no, no, the bar's not there. It's up here. They aren't even doing it. Well, how, Jesus? In what way are they messing it up? Well, so you think you must follow the Ten Commandments. The first one that Jesus talks about is murder. So this is how even people who aren't saved, this is how they justify themselves. I'm a good person. I'm better than this person. That person's done this, 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 and this. I haven't murdered, so I'm okay. And Jesus uh, says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is also liable for judgment. So these guys are going, all I have to do is not murder, tick that box. Jesus goes, "Uh uh-uh. So some of you haven't murdered, not everyone, by the way. Some of them had murdered already, so they can't even do that one. But I'm going to raise it up. Don't even get angry with your brother. Um, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire and suddenly even the people who thought they were making the mark have to go huh I can't do that I haven't passed that one and while they're still like languishing in trying to understand where they've landed uh, with, uh, with Jesus he then speaks about the next one we kind of go is go, I have never had an affair. You know, I'm a man of one wife and faithful. And the word says, don't commit adultery. And so I'm good compared to these guys who mess it up. Um, and Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And they go, yes, I've made it. I've arrived, cleared the bar on that one. Um, and he says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Reading that as a 14-year-old boy was a death knell to me. 
I mean, I had uh, started already before I became a Christian, and I carried it for a while, a pornographic addiction, where I'm looking at something, clearly with lust in my heart. I didn't realize before I got saved that it was wrong. My dad led me into it. so I didn't even stumble upon it by accident. I was kind of like, you know, trained into it. And my dad's a great guy, and he loved me, but he had this issue, and he wasn't saved, and so he just taught his son to become like him. Um, and I remember the first time I realized that, man, I am committing adultery every single time I've looked at, and it's not just pornography, it can happen in the street. It can happen, you know, at the shopping center. It's simply looking with an intent in my heart to lust. That is very easy to do. It is hard to kind of organize an affair. I don't think that happens. I say hard. It's also easy to fall into that. But a lot of things have to happen to fall into that. You have to be in the right, wrong place at the wrong time, blah, blah, blah. I don't really even want to think about the strategic way to fall into an affair. I just know that a lot of dominoes have to fall into place. But for lust to come into my heart, fast, quick, easy. And I, um, it had happened to me. I can't clear that one. Maybe I can clear not murder. Don't get angry. No, I can't clear that. But this one, man, he just keeps raising the bar. It's not enough to just not have an affair or not commit adultery. Um, and so even here, loving, you guys think you're good because you love your friends. It's not enough. You need to love your enemies. And his goal when he says, you must be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect, he's trying to help you see. This standard, it's high. It's not something you can actually even reach. I found myself asking this question. And the answer is in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. You can turn there if you want to. Um, my question was, what is the purpose of the law? Because these guys thought the purpose was so that I know what I have to do, so that I can do it, so that if I do it, then I'm okay. They thought that's what the purpose was. And then Jesus came and just, he, it's like my grade fours who think they can clear the bar and then I lift it up to the roof and they're all just downcast. I, I can't do that. So if the purpose is to clear that, sir, you've put it too high. Um, and Jesus does exactly the same thing. He's just risen it up to a level we can't reach. So what is the purpose of the law? It wasn't what they thought it was. Romans chapter 3 verse uh, 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Doesn't matter how good you are. You think you can clear 10 of the 11, or no one's going to be justified by uh, the law. Since through the law, and here comes the reason, so then why, do, why is it there? If we're not meant to do it, if we can't do it, why is it even there? So that through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law's purpose is to show me I can't get to God. Because God is perfect. And to live in, we are created to be in a relationship with Him for eternity. And People think, oh, he loves me, so he's just going to accept me. But the part they don't understand is he does love you, and he wants you with him. But imperfection cannot be in the presence of perfection. It's impossible. 
perfection annihilates imperfection. When Moses says, Lord, I want to see you, God puts him into a cleft of a rock in a mountain and walks past and still blocks off his viewpoint with his hand so that Moses can't see him because he loves Moses and he knows what's going to happen. If Moses sees me, bye-bye Moses. And whenever the prophets came into the presence of uh, the Lord, they were fearful. These were the best of the Jews. Isaiah says um, he, he stood in the, the, the temple and his eyes saw the Lord and he said, woe is me. He doesn't go praise the Lord. He goes, woe is me. I'm done for. They got it. This is holy ground. If you, as this imperfect, you come, become so aware of your imperfections. I'm a sinful man. You come into the presence of God in sin. You are done for. And this is the problem. He does love us. He wants us in an eternal uh, relationship with him. And people go, no, he'll just accept me because he loves me. But he can't. Because you're sinful. And the sin, is, he will, will destroy you if you are in his presence. There's no worshiping in heaven if you're a sinful person. You can't be there. And so we've got this problem where we want to get to God and we want to please Him and we want to be with Him forever. But we are sinful. And the law shows us that. In case you thought you weren't. Because there's people who think they aren't. And so God says, no, but you've got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And then those that think, realize, oh, I can't do that. And then Jesus comes and makes it clear. Even those who thought, because there were lots who thought, oh, I'm doing all of that, I'll be fine. No, guys. No one's going to get saved by completing the law. The reason why it's so high is so that you'll reach a place of going, I give up. I can't do it. That's what happened to me. I grew up in a non-Christian family. I mean, you've already heard the story about my dad, so I don't have to convince you about that. Um, And my grandfather died when he was six years old, when I was six years old. And um, he lived with me. I basically saw him as my dad. He lived in our home with us. When he died, it was massive. And um, I, I loved him more than I loved my mom and my dad because, I, because children experience love through time. And he was the one who spent the most time with me. And at six years old, this devastating event happens to me. Catastrophic. And I go to my mom and I'm trying to, as a six-year-old, deconstruct what's happened and understand where is... Papa now, that was my name for him. And my mom, doing the best she could with her own lack of understanding of God in heaven and things, said, no, your, father's, your grandfather was the best man we ever knew. He was a good guy. So he's in heaven. So mommy, if I want to go to heaven, I have to be good. Yes. And that was the paradigm as a six-year-old I fell under. I want to be with my grandfather again. He's in heaven because he was such a great guy. And now I am going to be good. And I was just like one of these Pharisees, law keepers. Tell me what I need to do and I will do it. Man, I was annoying at school. I was like this. And proud. Had my finger to my mouth the whole time. Would write down kids' names every time they they spoke. Not because I was told to, just because I wanted to keep a record of how while I was beating them. Uh Uh-huh, he spoke again. He spoke again. I mean, no one asked me to do that. I was the one, am I still winning? Am I still the best? Best student. Everyone in my class got a hiding for spitballs. You know, put 
paper into your mouth, put it into a pen, spit it. Everyone got a hiding for that, except Mark. Mark doesn't do stuff like that because it's wrong. I don't do what's wrong. And in my own mind, I was perfect. I'm so sorry my parents aren't here today because they would have laughed if I had said this. But I saw myself this way. I was the perfect son. I didn't do anything wrong. Steve was nowhere. I was so glad he was there so I could compare myself to him and go, man, I'm so much better than you. I never said it to his face, but I thought it. And every night I I would pray. Say, Lord, have I done enough? Am I good enough? And every night, the feeling I got back was, it wasn't an audible thing, but it was just, I never had peace. I never felt like, you've arrived. But I was trying hard. I want to get this thing right. And then one day, someone preached the gospel. And the way I'm preaching it to you this morning. Romans chapter 3. So just after we're in Romans chapter 3. Three verses later, it says this. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. No one is perfect. Each one has gone to his own way. And I remember hearing that. And for the first time, I wasn't sitting in the room looking around, comparing myself, going, I'm the best one sitting here. For the first time, I sat there amongst everyone going, you know what, no matter what you've done or you've done or you've done, I'm exactly like everyone else. And maybe I haven't committed adultery yet and maybe I haven't committed murder yet or maybe I haven't and all these things but I am as as sinful as anyone else in the room if not worse because I thought I could get there through my own righteousness I was self-righteous and the moment I realized I couldn't do it this is the place Jesus wants you to get to this morning are you coming to church because you want to please him are you uh, praying because you want to please him are you reading your bible because you're trying to reach a mark for him so that he will accept you Coming to church, good. Reading the Bible, good. Praying, good. But if you're doing those things so that you can be accepted by Him, you've misunderstood how this thing works. Because the way it starts is, God, I can't do this. I can't reach your standard. You are too good. I am so sinful. I have fallen way short. And the moment that happens, and this is why it's so hard for some people to come to faith, it's our pride that's getting dealt with. Because before I was relying on me, I was doing it. My pride. But when I have to get rid of my pride to the point of going, God, I can't do this, and I can't do it without you. And it's at that moment where I realized I can't do this anymore that I was able to receive the gospel. I'd heard about Jesus. You might have a knowledge of Jesus in the room this morning. Knowledge means nothing. Knowledge, you know who he is. Um, The demons know that. They are not saved. You might even have an approval of Jesus, like a knowledge of him, and you approve of him. It's not enough. The Muslims have that. They think he's fantastic. They believe he is perfect. They believe he is born of a virgin. I can tell you a hundred things they believe that are the same as what we believe. And they approve of him. It's not enough. Because the way you get saved is the third part. You need to know about him, of course. You need to approve of him, of course. But there's a third part contingent to this thing. And it comes the moment I make a personal decision to place my trust in him for what he's done for me. 
And when you tell people about God and Jesus before they come to the place where they're at the end of themselves, they're not going to do much with him. Because I feel like I'm doing okay. I was like that. Someone had told me about Jesus many times before this day. But on this day, I reached my end. And it was at that place where I said, God, and it was hard because my pride is being pushed to the side now. God, I can't do this. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I don't deserve that. I trust you. I want to live my life for you. The moment that happened, I was 14 years old. I remember this peace came over me. This joy came over me. I realized in that moment that I was accepted. I didn't afterwards go, "Eh." and by the way, you go, but I've raised my hand in a meeting before. It means nothing to me. I've um, come to the front in a meeting before. It means nothing to me because this is a personal decision between you and the Lord. And it can happen after I raised my hand and I went to the front. But what had happened was I had personally placed my trust no longer in myself and my works, but only in Jesus and what he did. And the moment I did that, I was accepted. And this beautiful thing happens when you get accepted. Have I changed? Am I no longer sinful? Remember we were speaking about this earlier. Am I now going to go back home and never sin again? And never? No, I'm exactly the same inside as I always was. But what happens is, and this is important, God on the outside, now listen, he justifies me. And I'm going to explain outside and inside in a second. Justification, let me read it so I get it right. Justification means an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. Instantaneous. The moment Mark went, Lord, I'm so sorry for living the way I've lived. I know I can't get to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I trust that for my salvation. And now I want to live for you. The moment I do that, God no longer looks at me and my sin, because that was imputed, I'm going to explain that word now, transferred onto Jesus at the cross. My sin gone off me. Our external viewpoint of God. Sin gone. Next imputation. Righteousness of Jesus transferred on. Inside the same. But the viewpoint of God, the legal viewpoint and declaration of God towards Mark Wood is justified. Not by works, not because of anything you've done, because you have accepted Jesus. It's received by grace. Through faith. Man, Christian, this morning I want you to take a moment to consider your position. God looks at you and he no longer sees your sin. He sees Jesus and his righteousness. This is why I can come to him. This is why I have great confidence. This morning in the prayer meeting before and to try and lift the faith of our prayer meeting, I read um, the verse in James where it says, the prayer of the righteous will availeth much. And we feel guilty when we read that. Oh, okay, I get it. Maybe the pastor's prayer will availeth much because he's righteous. Maybe the um, 
elder's prayer will availeth much because he's righteous. But little old me and my little faith, my prayer is not going to availeth too much, so I'm not going to do too much. But you misunderstand righteous. I'm not righteous because I'm an elder or anything that I've done. I'm righteous because God imputed, transferred Jesus' righteousness onto me. And now my prayers are powerful. And so are yours. That's why we pray. Because when he looks to you and listens to your prayer, he's not looking to sinful Mark. He's looking to righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. This thing we were trying to achieve, I kept trying to get better, perfect, improve. He gives it to me instantaneously. Am I this different on the inside? No. See, that's what we struggle with because we do struggle with sin afterwards. But there's this very important thing that I want you to get. You are justified the moment you believe. And he looks at you and he declares it righteous. Okay, so now what about, what about sin? Where do, we, where do we, we go with sin from here? Because if God looks at me as righteous, but I'm still the same on the inside, I'm still struggling with sin, what is that meant to look like? Well, the second part of the process is another big word. I'm trying to unpack this for you. Um, sanctification. So God doesn't just accept you as you are. He does accept you just as you are. You're going, Mark, you don't know where I've been and what I've done. I can't come to God as I am. Yes, you can. In grace, he accepts you as you are, but in grace, he doesn't leave you as you are. So you come as you are. And now, the Holy Spirit, what happened was that day, I put my faith in Jesus. I was declared righteous. I was justified. It's a position we all have. Man, do you not have wealth in this world? It's fine. Do you not have uh, health in this world? It's fine. Are you justified in God's eyes before, before him. Yes, you're okay. You're going to be okay. We have the thing Muslims are killing themselves to try and get. They pray five times a day. The one guy was in one conversation with him. He said, Astaghfir Allah, which means God forgive me, 185 times. One conversation. I asked him eventually because it was very hard to have a conversation where you go, so buddy, what did you do today? Oh, I went to the shops and a stock falah and then I uh, you know, had a nap and a stock falah and then uh, I kept stopping him and going, why do you keep saying a stock falah? Why are you doing that? He goes, no, 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 I do it because I'm saying God forgive me and the more times I do it, the, 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 the more sins I'm allowed to do and then they are covered. So I'm working hard to cover my sins. I just had 185 times stock falah, you didn't do it once by the way, Christian, but I said, God, forgive me. So he's working and they kill themselves to just, and you ask them, do you know you're going to go to heaven? No, no one knows that. Not even Muhammad knows. They have no assurance of salvation. Ask me, I know I'm going to heaven. Is it because you're not sinless anymore? No, no, very sinful, but it has been spoken by God, outwardly justified righteousness of Christ. So you working very hard to get this thing I already have. And I'm trying to teach you, show you, you can have it. All you have to do is repent of your sins and trust in Jesus for what he's done for you. But God won't leave me as the sinful guy. He then comes with his Holy Spirit. He put his Holy Spirit inside of me that day. I didn't, you go, but did you feel it? I didn't feel it. I'll be honest. Some people do. I didn't feel any different. I felt peace and I felt joy, but I didn't have this experience where I knew that a spirit has now resided in me. But it happened. And this is what the next stage is. 
Sanctification, which we, if you're saved today, you might have been saved one day, 10 years, 50 years. You are in this process at some point. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Say that again. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So Mark receives the Holy Spirit, and one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to make me more like Christ. And it's progressive. That means it didn't happen instantly. I'm going to explain the difference here. Justification, immediate. Sanctification, continuous. To differing degrees. So that's why I said we're, all, we're not in the same place here. Some of us are further along the road than others. Some are further behind. It's okay. As long as we're moving forwards with momentum, that's what you want. You want to look at that, uh, that graph for your retirement annuity. You want the arrow to be trending up. Okay, it might have a dip here or there or get jagged, but as long as it's generally higher than what it was, you're happy with that, right? You'd get very scared if it's doing that. Then it's the same. My sanctification is at zero the moment I believe, but the Holy Spirit is with me now and he's growing me. And it's slow and he's changing me, but I'm improving. So that's how God deals with our sin. He does if you are submitted to him, he sanctifies you. You become less and less sinful. The, the guys are actually just tweaking this issue when they say it can happen in this lifetime. It won't get finished until the end. But where I agree with him is I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me and sin will have no dominion over me anymore. If you're a Christian and you've been struggling with the same sin for 50 years, something's gone wrong because the Holy Spirit in me gives me the freedom from sin and dominion. Not all sin and perfect, but I will not have this thing dominate me anymore. So I do not stand in front of you as a pornography addict, though I struggled with it as, uh, for a time, even after I was saved. Because God didn't want me to stay there. And you might be struggling with sin, alcoholism or whatever. Some of it lasts a long time, and you might even reach the stage where you're thinking, well... Maybe I'm going to have this my whole life. You don't have to have it your whole life. Because God's will for you is to be sanctified and become more and more like Christ. And that power of the Holy Spirit in you can break. And many of you will have testimonies of God freeing you from uh, addictions and struggles. However, are they still present in my life in some way? Yes. So if you're sitting there feeling guilty about your sinful state post-conversion like I was, Join the club. We're all there. If you're enjoying your sin post-conversion because of the grace that you think is yours, be careful. Because you've misunderstood. Sanctification is not a downward arrow where you just keep getting worse because grace is never-ending towards you. Your arrow can regress. David's did after he committed adultery. He had two years. It didn't happen in one day. Two years where he kept that sin a secret. So he just kept, kept going to the temple, kept doing his sacrifices, kept looking like the king he always looked like and the worshiper of God he always was. But for two years he carried this uh, sexual sin in his heart. And his uh, uh, journey with the Lord hit a dip, big time. And that can happen to us. And if we're happy with that, that's an issue. 
But we have power in the Holy Spirit, and God comes to David and convicts him of his sin. And that's what I always say. People say to me, oh, no, I do this. But if you're convicted of your sin, that means you, you feel bad about it, and you turn to God. You go, God, I'm sorry about this. Man, praise the Lord. It's in his kindness that he leads us to repentance. It's when we don't feel bad about the sin that we're struggling and we don't come to him and we keep moving in our own direction. Or we feel condemned. The enemy lies to us. You're so sinful, you're so bad, you just keep going on as you are. But the Holy Spirit regularly comes to me and goes, Mark, that's not right. Bring that to me. And instead of going, I go, thank you, thank you. And I check my, my sanctification graph. Yeah. I wish I had an easel to draw it for you. And I, I check it regularly because I do notice a plateau. And I ask myself, why? Why am I plateauing? There's some way I'm, I'm not being obedient to the Lord. Something he said to me I'm not doing. There's some sin I'm holding on to. We, I do it. I still do it. I held on to unforgiveness for over a year. But I kept praying, God, for, I forgive them. So I kept doing what you're meant to be doing, but I still held it. It's hard to let go of. For a year, trust me, guys, this last year, my sanctification graph is like this. But I'm coming to you going, no, but what God is saying is, I'm with you, and it's fine, you repent of that, and I set you free from that, and up you go. So if you're struggling with sin for a long period of time, guys, stop doing what you're doing. Einstein says the insanity is the repetition of the same thing and expecting a different result. So you are not doing something. Have you seeked help? No, no, no. God's going to help me on my own just in my prayer life. Has that worked so far? No. Well, keep praying, but go and get counseling. Why do we, it's just as silly as having an issue with your health and saying, I'll never go to a doctor. I'm just going to pray. Right? So you, have you really done everything you can do to get free of this thing? Or have you left it at, this is just between me and the Lord? Are you willing to confess before someone, because that's what counseling is, you have to admit to someone, I'm struggling with this. There's lots that you can do, but it's also, and then I do this. This is the last thing I want to close here. I pray for more of the Holy Spirit. So I didn't get everything on day one. I got the Holy Spirit as a seal of the promise of what's coming, and I know that I'm saved, and I thank God for it. No matter what happens from here, but I know that I need more of the Holy Spirit. Even this morning, my prayer was, Lord, I, I know I've got an ability to speak. I know I've got an ability to teach that you've given to me. But I don't want to stand here in my own strength, Lord. Will you fill me with your Spirit? And will you um, empower what I say this morning through the power of your Spirit? Because that's what's going to change. Otherwise, you're just listening to something interesting. And go, oh, at the end, wow, you're, that, you're quite a good speaker. Thank you. I've had people say that. I feel terrible afterwards. Because I go, that's not what I want. I don't want you to come up to me afterwards and say, you speak so nicely. I was so entertained. I want to hear, and I've heard this. And those people actually don't come up to me. I hear it by the way. Uh, Debbie's dad. Two years after I preached a sermon. He just saw me one day. And he said, Mark, you know, you preached a sermon uh, two years ago, and I went into that building, and I was carrying an issue, some, something, he didn't tell me what it was, something before the Lord for a long time. And after you preached, I made a decision to respond to God, and he set me free. Man, that's what I want to hear. Because I believe that can happen, and I've seen that happen. I'm not interested in being a, um, well thought of by you because of how great I speak, but I am interested in hearing, man, this is how God has 
come in and changed my life. I am stealing a lot of time here, but this is important. I'm going to end here. What can you do? So, the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, outward, God does it, says it to you. Sanctification, internal, changes you slowly. Justification, once for all time. Sanctification, continuous throughout your life. Justification, all God. God does it all. You didn't do a thing. Sanctification, cooperation, but not 50-50. God is the primary agent, thank goodness. Otherwise, we would never get anywhere if it was a 50-50. Our 50, we would bring nothing. It's like trying to help these kids at school learn something. It's not just me. I can teach very well, but you've got to bring something. And some of them bring nothing and get nowhere. Thank goodness it's, we just have to open up our hearts and do a bit, and God does most of it. Uh, justification, perfect, the moment it happened. There's no more to be done. Done. Sanctification, not perfect yet. Getting better. Maybe a little bit of a dip here and there or a plateau here and there, but the general trajectory is up and to the right, which is what we want. That's how the graph goes. Okay. Um, justification, the same. Are you saved? You're justified, just like me. Exactly the same. I'm not more justified than you. We have the same justification. Sanctification, greater in some than in others. Well, how do you get it greater? I'll give you some tips. And I'm not saying that I'm the greatest in the room at all. I'm saying these tips to myself. Um, but I want to know, why is that guy a bit further along the road than, than me? Because I can get there. Um, how's your... So, oh, no, I just feel far away from the Lord, and I don't feel like my sanctification is going very well. What can I do? How's your Bible reading going? I'll tell you now, if you're reading Scripture regularly... Um, that helps. But what I've seen in my own life is when I stop reading Scripture, I kind of fall into these plateaus and these dips, and I re-look and go, geez, I'm really not reading God's Word as much anymore, a little bit, but not the way I was, not with the hunger that I was. Come back to Lord, fill me with your, a desire for your Word. You need to read God's Word. Prayer. How's your prayer life going? Because if you're not praying... It's like being in a relationship with a spouse and you're never there. Is it going to be a good relationship? No, we never talk. But if you're praying with God, the sanctification process gets boosted because He's working in you and making you more like Him. Worship. I remember as a teenager, I could never lift my hands in worship. That might surprise you because you'll see me at the front here. It's basically my staple worship stance. And I have to check my heart in that because remember, worship is internal, not external. But I remember as a teenager, I couldn't because all these people, what are they going to think? Man, if I lift my hands, she won't ask, I won't, when I ask her out, she's going to say, no, you're weird. Okay? So these are the like, teenage thoughts I was having, having during worship. And I remember one summer camp, the song was, Lord, I give you my heart. This is my desire. And I remember hearing the song and just feeling the Holy Spirit say, you, if you give me your whole heart, Mark, then um, you can't be afraid to show it to people. And he wasn't telling me I have to raise my hands, but I remember thinking, Lord, I'm responding to you now. I'm going to lift my... It was the hardest thing in the world for me to do because I'd never done it. Lift my hand in front of all these people. And I remember the freedom I felt when I did that because I'd made God first above man. Never struggled with that thought again. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Worship. And for me, worship, it's inside, but, but it, what's happening on the inside comes out. And I can't help but raise my voice and lift my hands and 
these help. But when I'm struggling in sanctification in a bit of a dip or plateau, I find myself worship times, because worship should be here all the time. Man, when it's flying, I'm singing and loving it. Man, new songs just keep coming into my heart. Uh, when I'm plateauing, I just worship on a Sunday because people are watching. Witnessing. Tell people about your faith. The more you do that, boost your sanctification. Fellowship. Come to church on a Sunday. Great. Go to Bible study. I know, I know there's reasons why we struggle to go to Bible study, but I will keep hunting this. Uh, scripture says, uh, continue to spur one another on to good works. You can't spur someone else on if you're by yourself. And you can't be spurred on to good works if you're by yourself. So there, Paul is speaking about, he says, do not give up meeting together. And not just on a Sunday. That will help with your sanctification. And the main one is, do you have an attitude in your heart, in your life, where you're saying, God, I want more of your Holy Spirit? Because he gives more to those who ask. And if the Holy Spirit is the one who helps me to stop sinning, and if the Holy Spirit is the one who helps me progress in my faith, then surely one of my staple prayers every day, and I try and make this one of mine, Lord, give me more of your Spirit. Because I need him. And so, church, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to ask Debbie to come up to the front. And uh, she's just going to play a song. And I'm creating an opportunity for response in the room this morning. So I know it is, it is half past ten, and I apologize for that. But this morning, I believe that there's people sitting here who may not yet have put a personal trust in Jesus for their salvation. Maybe you know about him. I mean, clearly you come to church regularly, most of you are regulars. Maybe you even approve of him. You go, you know, he's, he's a good guy. He's even God, that's fine. But you haven't yet gone, I am going to trust you with my whole life for my salvation. That's the third thing that you need to do. There's an illustration of a guy on a, a, tow, on a, a rope. What is that called? Why am I losing it? a tightrope and he's over a valley and he's got a wheelbarrow and he calls a crowd and he says to them do you believe I can cross this tightrope you can keep playing David do you believe I can cross this tightrope and get to the other side and they all go because they haven't seen him do it yet so he steps onto the rope with the wheelbarrow and walks all the way across to the other side turns around and from the other side he lines himself up again and he calls out to the crowd and he says do you believe I can cross this rope with this wheelbarrow and now because they've just seen it they all go we believe we believe do it again do it again and he steps onto the rope wheelbarrow gets to the other side they've all just said we believe gets the other side do you believe that I can cross this tightrope with the wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe. Do it again. Do it again. Get in. So that's the difference. Are you standing on the sideline, watching it, approving of it, saying, I believe this can happen, or are you willing to lay aside your pride and go, God, I'm going to trust you whole life for my salvation.
And there's a difference. There's a distinction there. I want to give you that opportunity today to put your faith in Jesus for your salvation. Not in church attendance, not in how much you've prayed or any other thing you might have built up over your life to think, am I good enough? Simply this, I can't get there without you. And so I choose you. And the second thing I'm going to give to you this morning is an opportunity if you have been walking with him for a long time and your sanctification is stalled it may be on a dip it may be in a plateau i want to give you an opportunity to come up to the front peter's going to be up here i'm going to be up here just while debbie plays this last song i want you to come up and we will pray with you for more of the holy spirit to fill your heart so that you can become more and more you'll be empowered with more boldness for ministry to witness more love for your word to read your bible more more love for prayer to pray more to you we'll pray for that with you don't leave the same as you came in i really believe god wants to do something with, with some here and the rest this is the last song so while we're praying with people and debbie's playing the song you can respond yourself in just worship you might just have understood something a bit more clearly this morning you, you don't really want to re- respond by coming up and maybe just in your seat or as you worship you just want to praise the Lord for saving you, justifying you and sanctifying you that it will end in glorifying where you'll be made perfect one day and then when the song ends while we're still praying with people at the front you're welcome to go out the back and um, go to have coffee right but let's honor this time and allow people to have a chance to respond to the Lord